Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while, we got to religious people. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face. Shut up. Quit pointing out the problem. Men will be proud, arrogant, abusive. You watch some of today's rock star pastors and you will see every characteristic Paul listed played out in vivid detail on the church stage. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you've never heard the sound of a gasket popping, you haven't read the New York Times. This is Wretched Radio Epoch. The columnists at the New York Times are downright apoplectic about the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Headline from just one of the very troubled journalists at the New York Times. No, Justice Alito. Reproductive justice is in the Constitution. Well, that raises a question. Is it? Let's take a look at the arguments set forth by the big think tank known as the New York Times to see if their arguments in support of abortion actually hold water. In order to do that, we need to actually know our Constitution and its amendments. Perhaps it's been a while since you've read the 13th and 14th Amendments, and that is why we have Jimmy. Jimmy, would you be so kind, sir? I know you know these from from memory. I do. To simply recite the 13th Amendment. All right. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. You got to keep going, Jimmy. There's there's nothing else to read. <laughs> there must be, because this columnist says that this amendment to the Constitution prohibits abortion. I didn't hear the word abortion being used. Furthermore, I did not hear the words privacy or bodily autonomy being used. I did hear the word slavery. This is the amendment that said, uh-uh, right after the Civil War, it is done as an institution in the United States of America and any place where we might have jurisdiction. That is what the original authors intended to enshrine. No slavery. So how is it that a columnist from the New York Times can read that very same amendment and say, well, there it is right there? The first argument made by this particular apoplectic author is that to force women to have a baby, which is a backwards way of looking at it. Nobody's forcing a woman to have a baby. We're protecting the life of a child. The woman, in most cases, made the decision to do the procreative act, which leads to procreation. If the government steps in and says, uh, you, you, you cannot harm that child, that is not enslaving somebody. That is protecting a human being. From the New York Times, black women's sexual subordination and forced pregnancies were foundational to slavery. The argument being set forth is this. Because this amendment to the Constitution abolished slavery, one of the elements, the aspects of slavery, was that slave owners would rape slave women and impregnate them so that they could make more babies and therefore the owner would have more slaves. Now, did that happen? <laughs> Tragically, yes, it did. 
But were the original authors now going to make the same application that the New York Times columnist does? She tries to set forth that because forcing a woman to get pregnant and carry the baby to term is a part, it's an aspect of enslavement. Therefore, this amendment outlaws the government's right to protect the child in the womb. Are you tracking that? That's the argument. Now, if we are going to use this premise, I think an analogy just very quickly pokes a very large hole in this argument. There are other aspects of slavery. For instance, slaves were forced, they were there under compulsion, they were made to carry food to tables. Therefore, this amendment outlaws waiters and waitresses because they carry food to tables. You go, well, hold, wait, hold on. Yeah, that was a component of, of slavery, but that's not what was in view. But that is the claim of the New York Times. Ending the forced sexual and reproductive servitude of black girls and women was a critical part of the passage of the 13th and 14th Amendments. Is that what the 13th Amendment stated? That you cannot be told to do what you don't want to do by the government? This is an issue of hermeneutics. This is an issue of reading what is clear, what the original authors intended. I think it's safe to say that if we went back to the Congress of 1868 is when I believe the 13th and 14th Amendments were passed, and said, um, so what you mean to say is that a woman has a right to abortion, they would probably wonder what you've been drinking, because that wasn't in view. It isn't in any of the documents that were that reveal the debates surrounding the 13th and 14th Amendments. And speaking of the 14th Amendment, Jimmy, from memory, if you'd like to recite the 14th Amendment, please listen carefully for the words privacy and bodily autonomy. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. What what version of the Constitution are you reading? It, might, it must be one of those newfangled sort of <laughs> paraphrase versions of the Constitution, because when, when I heard you say that, it didn't have the words privacy or bodily autonomy in them. So I don't know where they... Get that from from the New York Times mandated forced or compulsory pregnancy contravene enumerated rights in the Constitution, citing the 13th Amendment's prohibition against involuntary servitude and protection of bodily autonomy, as well as the 14th Amendment's defense of privacy and freedom. Let's imagine Jimmy is driving down Highway 85 in Atlanta doing 100 miles an hour, which, frankly, is pretty regular around here. <laughs> but Jimmy, you're 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 one of those people, man. You are just zooming 85, 100 miles an hour. The police pull you over and you say, "Officer, do not tell me what to do with my body because if you do, you're enslaving me." That's right. How's that going to go down? 
Probably not very well. It's not going to go down well at all. Furthermore, while the subject of privacy is addressed in one of the amendments of the Constitution, namely the fourth, it has to do specifically with search and seizure, that the government can't come into your house without cause and start looking around. That's what the Fourth Amendment protected. Privacy of your own home from the government injecting themselves into your world to search your stuff. The 13th and 14th Amendments have nothing to say about that issue. It is merely implied because the pro-choice approach to the Constitution is a worldview in search of an amendment. Where could we find something in there that sort of hints at making the argument? And this is what they've come up with from the New York Times. The Supreme Court demonstrates a... This is actually something that is starting to become comical if it weren't so dangerous. Have you noticed lately that liberals are accusing conservatives of doing the actual thing that they're doing? I have read article after article. The conservatives are I was a Paul I was reading a Paul Krugman article and that conservatives they're undermining democracy. Wait, what? But that's what you're doing. It would be like a a liberal saying to a conservative, you know, you conservatives, all you want to do is raise taxes and stop fracking and drilling for oil. That's all you can see. Now that's what you're doing. And they are doing that constantly. Here's another example. The Supreme Court demonstrates a selective and opportunistic interpretation of the Constitution and legal history. (laughs) Well, somebody in this debate is mangling the Constitution or ignoring the intent of the original authors. This woman writes, we conservatives who are selectively and opportunistically interpreting the Constitution ignore the intent of the 13th and 14th Amendments, especially as related to black women's bodily autonomy, liberty and privacy, which extended beyond freeing them from labor in cotton fields to shielding them from rape and forced reproduction. Well, it seems, Mommy, that somebody's reading the Constitution in a very clever sort of way, and the reason for it is because these days we do not want to go back in history. Why would we do that? Those people were all dumb. They're dead. They're old. They're not as smart as we are. And we don't care to know what the original authors intended. We want to know what we intend, and then we will go find support of it. Get ready, Christian, if you ever bump into somebody, whether from the New York Times or not, who says the 13th and 14th Amendments provide support for abortion. Ask them one question. Are you familiar with the term hermeneutics? This is Wretched Radio. Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are 
being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Master's Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals? Are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, thank you so much for your support, which has allowed us to create compelling quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org slash donate, or you can also just as easily text the word wretched to the number 44321. The war for life is not over. The war for life has just begun. Dan Steiner from preborn.org slash wretched. Our partner clinic in um, Buffalo, New York is firebomb. A clinic in Longmont, Colorado also was burned. And so this is the essence of who we are as Christians. We war not against flesh and blood. The implication is that we are, in fact, at war, and we are. The war for life rages on state by state, city by city, block by block, woman by woman. Would you please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched, providing free ultrasound, providing counseling, providing parental training, providing Similac, providing clothes, providing diapers, and offering them the good news of the gospel. We are at war for life. Please consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century. He was a champion of the Church's fight against Arianism and was a chief author of the Nicene Creed. However, his orthodoxy did not equal popularity. Athanasius was exiled no less than five times, but Athanasius chose to honor God instead of man. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. As long as you brought up the subject of hermeneutics... This is Wretched Radio, the art and science of interpreting Scripture. And these days, the Constitution demands that we have some principles and rules that we all share and use and submit to in order to understand the intent of the original author. Thanks to postmodernism and deconstructionism, That's not the way we read antiquated books like the Bible and Constitution. No, we need to read between the lines. And what they didn't say is what they intended to say, really. Wink, wink. Wow, that's that's one way of reading a book. Another way of reading a book is the allegorical approach. This was used for centuries in the church with the Bible. 
that we would read stories mostly in the Old Testament and say, this is actually that. This story about Adam and Eve, Eve is actually representing Mary in the New Testament. That's the allegorical approach. It is not the right way to read the Bible. The allegorical approach presumes there can be multiple meanings of Scripture, many of which may be obscure to the less educated or less spiritual reader. The allegorical hermeneutic is a form of Gnosticism. I know what this really intended to say. You don't, but I do. The allegorical model creates a situation whereby it is the receiver rather than the sender who determines the meaning of Scripture. That means the individual who's reading what was written is the final arbiter, the judge and the jury about what that book actually says. Does that sound reasonable to you? I, I, it's, it's a good thing ever, ever, people who wrote old books are, are now dead because they'd be furious about the way that their material was being treated. No, that's not what I was. I wasn't trying to not say something because that's what I wanted to say. That's not what communication is. That is a modern day, 21st century, postmodern invention. The allegorical approach tends to spiritualize passages that otherwise would be obvious and easily understood. It often appeals to extra-biblical sources or authority to interpret Scripture. For example, we use science. <coughs> Genesis 1, 2, 3. Anybody? Uh, that, that, that's what you see when somebody reads the document, and it is really crystal clear in the beginning. Okay, so this was the beginning we're going to be reading about. God created the heavens and the earth. We didn't get big banged. We didn't evolve. And clearly he didn't use theistic evolution. Why? Because he said, on the first day I'm doing this, second day doing that, third day evening and morning. Emphatically stating, this is how the creation week went down. But if I believe science, which says, no, 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 we're billions of years old. I'm going to dive into my Bible and I'm going to find a way to make it say what I want it to say. And that's what the allegorical model does. It has no system or standard by which to discern or ascertain the validity of truthfulness of one allegorical interpretation over another. How do you know that my allegorical understanding is right when Jimmy has a different allegorical understanding, which he does all the time, by the way? Who's right? You'd go, well, uh, Jimmy, we, <laughs> we need a judge. We need an arbiter. And who is that? the original author. We need to know what he or she wanted to say when we read an antiquated document. The allegorical approach is, is, is problematic in that if it is the correct way to interpret Scripture, it means biblical truth is subjective rather than objective totally undermines how we go about the business of reading the Bible, which is why you hear this question asked in far too many Bible studies. What does that verse say to you? The answer, it doesn't matter what it says to me. The question that we should seek to answer is, what did the original author intend to say? With that in mind, for your consideration, four principles that are adhered to by the literal grammatical historical hermeneutical model. Go ahead and just put that on a sticker 
and put it on your beverage cup. There's a name. What are those? Everybody's putting stickers on stuff. I think this is a, this could be a good sticker. The literal grammatical historical hermeneutical model. That'll start lots of conversations. Number one, the literal principle insists scripture to be interpreted, and this is in quotes, literally, that it be understood in the same ordinary sense we understand common everyday language. If scripture says a man went somewhere, he went somewhere. If it tells you where he went, that's where he went. The idea that scripture's true ultimate meanings are deep and hidden from the average ordinary reader rejected by grammatical historical. Number two, the grammatical historical interpretive model means scripture does not say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. Yes, myriads of applications, but the meaning of the text is singular. There is one meaning to a text. This would be like, hey, Jimmy, yeah. let's uh, let's uh, let's go to dinner tonight. OK. And well, that, just hold on before you make a reservation. <laughs> what I meant by that was that um, you need to eat at Zaxby's and not Chick-fil-A. Ah, that, well, because duh. Everybody knows I like Zaxby's more than Chick-fil-A. So clearly that's what I intended. And you would say, well, why didn't you say that? And the answer is because that's not what I intended. I wanted to go to dinner with Jimmy. That's what I say. That's what I mean. And that's how we need to read the Bible. Accepts the figures of speech, metaphorical or symbolic language, hyperbole, even sarcasm. But insists that these devices are objectively discernible when used and also insists that when used, they are used to illustrate or to clarify a literal truth or meaning. So just as you hear hyperbole, which I've told you about 10 billion times, you read that and you realize, okay, well, he didn't mean that he literally said 10 billion times. Hyperbole says it's like that to make a point. We get that when we communicate to one another. We need to get that when we read the Bible. Number two, the historical principle. Actually, I don't know what number we're on. Insists scripture should be understood in light of the author's intended meaning. Second Peter 1. First of all, no prophecy of scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. <laughs> How's that for crystal clear and rather emphatic support for the biblical approach of the grammatical historical interpretive method? We consider the historical context, taking into account political, social, cultural settings that the passage was written in to determine the author's intent. But we never let those details sit on top of our interpretation. They support our understanding. The grammatical principle insists that the ordinary rules of grammar be used to interpret the Bible and that proper interpretation considers the lexicography and syntax of a passage. In other words, it studies the words, relationships between the words, prepositions, pronouns, antecedents, verbs, tenses, modifiers. We just apply those rules, hence the grammatical and grammatical historical. And then you've got yourself the synthetic principle explained thusly, insists scripture cannot contradict scripture and that where there is an appearance of an internal contradiction, a hermeneutically consistent solution exists that can harmonize the passages. You read 
the unclear in light of the clear. I would encourage you to please consider doing that when it comes to the issue of eternal security. There are so many people who think that they can lose their salvation as if God would give us a gift, which is what salvation is, and then say, you know, on the other hand, I think I've changed my mind. I'm taking back my gift. I don't need a receipt. I'm just taking it back. You go, well, that doesn't sound like the character and the nature of our gracious, merciful God. And you're right, because he doesn't take it back. Read Romans 8 and underline all of the emphatic exclamations that you can't lose your salvation. Then go read Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, and you will conclude, all right, I know what those appear to say in Hebrews 6 and 10, but Romans 8 is so clear that I need to dig a little bit deeper. And so you do, and you recognize Hebrews 6 and 10, we're not talking about you losing your salvation. Why? Because of the synthetic principle, the allegory of Scripture, that Scripture interprets Scripture, that the clear verses, they guide and rule the unclear verses to make them plain. That is the way to read the Bible. Now, you might be thinking that at this moment, I'm going to suggest you get Herman Who available at wretched.org because it's a great, I think about 13 lessons? 13. 13. 13 lessons on biblical hermeneutics. It's also got a study guide you could use in Sunday school to make sure that everybody in your church is on the same page when it comes to interpreting the Bible. But I'm not going to do that because that would seem self-serving. And not I'm not about that. So please get Herman Who at wretched.org and read your Bible, not like the New York Times would, but with a grammatical, historical, interpretive method. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, a top official from the FCC has called on Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores. Earlier this month, audio was obtained that clearly indicated employees of TikTok have been repeatedly accessing non-public data from American users. You know, I seem to remember being warned about this type of thing in 2020 by somebody else. You know, the big bad orange guy? Yeah, he actually tried to ban the app in America at that time and was unsuccessful. (sighs) Virtue signaling, the modern day sign of a true American. Marta Kaufman is an example of that type of true American virtue signaler. She's the co-creator of the former hit TV show Friends, and she says she is now going to atone for her crimes from the past, the crimes of not having enough diversity in the hit TV show Friends. She plans to atone for her crimes by giving $4 million to her alma mater, Brandis University, to be used exclusively for African-American students. Okay, so clearly this lady has the right to do whatever she wants to do with her money. But I just wonder if she would have any interest in giving her money away to be used in the way she's asking it to be used in if no one knew it came from her. And that's why this is nothing more than virtue signaling. Earlier this week, House Democrats introduced a transgender bill of rights to, quote, codify and protect the rights of transgender and non-binary people. The bill is proposing to amend federal law in regard to who is allowed to participate on sports teams and also who is allowed to use which bathroom in schools, basically seeking to take the rights out of the hands of individual states and ultimately out of the hands of the people of each state. 
Yep, and we see just how well that worked with Roe vs. Wade the past 50 years. The federal government has absolutely no business controlling anything for anybody. But maybe that's just me. And I do have a proposal, like anyone listening actually cares about my proposals, but I would propose that these laws that are being questioned be put on the ballot in each state. Let the people of the states decide. That's really not going to happen because the American people by majority disagree with abortion and believe gender is determined by a person's sex. There are plenty of polls and research that support those claims. So if the concern is actually the American people, then let them decide. Well, a new law will take effect in Florida July 1st that will ban critical race theory training in the workplace. Another good move by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis because CRT is a cancer that aims to divide people based on nothing more than their skin color. CRT actually does more to perpetuate the racism that it claims it wants to fix. Nothing good ever comes from implementing any part of CRT in any company, organization, or school. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 325 AD. The Council of Nicaea was called to address debates perplexing the church, primarily concerning the nature of Jesus. The Nicene Creed was drafted and is still one of the standards of orthodoxy among Christians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, isn't that clever? This is Wretched Radio. The arguments from liberals in support of abortion, they are revealing a consistent theme, and that theme is projection. The psychological term that says an individual who is doing something bad claims that other people are doing the very thing that he is doing. It's called projection. I think they call it blame shifting sometimes. Maybe that's just a cousin of the psychological term of projection. But that is exactly what we are seeing constantly these days with liberals and progressives, as revealed in the New York Times. Watch for this tactic. Maybe you felt this. If you've ever had to endure watching CNN or MSNBC because you were stuck in an airport. (laughs) That's all they seem to play there. You've heard liberals making accusations about us that are clearly true about them. It is going on perpetually these days. I've seen it so often in the last several weeks. The accusation that conservatives are doing this. For the conservatives, they're wrecking democracy. No, actually, your desire for socialism and Marxist policies, that wrecks democracy. We want to preserve democracy. Nope, you're trying to wreck it. That's what January 6th was all about. Um, Okay, that's a different issue. Conservatives, we like the idea, not so much of democracy, but a representative republic, And it is the conservative values that uphold that ideology. It is progressive, socialistic, Marxist values that undermine democracy. A history book would be helpful right about now. Let's go to the New York Times to hear the arguments that are being used by liberals to promote death. The Supreme Court's fighting words. These are two editorialists from the New York Times having a conversation And the one fellow says about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's like knowing daylight savings time is coming. 
and setting your clock back 50 years. All righty then, let's see if that argument supports itself. What you're claiming is that because Roe v. Wade has been on the books for 50 years, we couldn't possibly overturn it. I wonder if that same principle applies to the institution of slavery. Slavery was on the books for almost 100 years. Therefore, we shouldn't have overturned that. I think they would say, well, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter how long something is on the books. The question is, is it good law or not? Furthermore, if I wanted to use the calendar argument, I could say, well, okay, fine. It's been on the books for 50 years. For 150 years preceding it, it wasn't. Now, who wins? We do, because we have three times more years. It's not a strong argument. A woman's power to decide whether she wants to be pregnant was totally key to our liberation, said the editorialist. That's true for second wave, not first wave, but second wave feminism. That's true. Take it away. And you're back to a time when women were expected to quit work after they got married because there was no effective way of knowing when they'd get pregnant and to totally avoid sex if they were single because of the fear that they'd get pregnant and ruin their reputations and careers. Um, that would be a caricature of a time. Furthermore, as Christians, I, I actually don't embrace the traditional model of society and how we interacted as genders. Uh, we reject, I reject the progressive model. I reject the traditional model. I embrace the biblical model. Because there are shortcomings to the traditional model. They were short on freedom. Now, the progressive model is long on freedom. Wait, that, that you can determine that you are a different gender in your own mind and you are therefore that? That's way too much. The traditional model, I, it did have too little freedom. The biblical model strikes the balance. The biblical model is the one that we should be adhering to, not progressive versus traditional. By the way, we talk about that in season three of Road Trip to Truth, which will be out this fall. For me, the word that comes to mind about the Supreme Court decision is arrogance. <laughs> really? So, their desire to adhere to what the Constitution actually didn't say is considered arrogant. Hey, Jimmy. Yes. Do you like um, Chick-fil-A? I do. You're arrogant. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's a pejorative. This is the arguments that are being offered these days by progressive. Watch for the old turned table routine. America... The merciless is another headline, <laughs> you see, because you want to protect babies, you're merciless. Um, how does that work? Well, the argument would be that you don't want to let women do whatever they want to do with their body. Therefore, you're lacking mercy. No, that is exactly what you're doing. Laws are intended to control our bodies. That's why we need them. That's the whole purpose and point. This columnist from the New York Times says, no, you're merciless if you're pro-life. Listen to the tone of this, this particular article. As the 4th of July looms, looms, like Jaws is in the water. As 4th of July looms with its flags and its barbecues and its full-throated patriotism. 
I find myself mulling about American exceptionalism. I land on a distinct absence of mercy is, is, is what describes America today. Huh. A lack of, lack of mercy for wanting a baby to live. See what they did right there? They're, they're, they're pointing the finger at you and saying you're doing the very thing that we're actually doing. From this article, when it comes to someone fighting for his life on death row or someone longing for the right to die at life's end, America generally goes with the least empathetic option. Oh, I see. So when we want to see a criminal who did atrocious things to other human beings punished via death, capital punishment, we are not being empathetic. Um, Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing toward the victim. Furthermore, it reveals we have a high view of life, so high that if somebody takes one of these precious lives, they pay with their own life. No, you're lacking empathy, which, by the way, leads us to another stunning aspect of the progressive arguments on the Roe v. Wade decision. This is from the same article. The laws on both capital punishment and physician-assisted suicide are clear. Our enthusiasm for the death penalty puts us in the same camp as China and Iran. They hate the death penalty for a guilty criminal, but they say that it is noble to allow a woman to take the life of her innocent child. This is a total table turn in the arguments. And speaking of introducing capital punishment and a physician-assisted suicide headline, this is a different New York Times columnist. America's machinery of death is slowly grinding to a halt. And I went, oh, good, finally, a pro-life argument. Nope, that's not what this article is about. It's about the death penalty. The machinery of death. I wonder what they would call abortion. A celebration of life? Here's another table turn. The politicization of the Supreme Court is eroding its legitimacy. Now, you can't say that the right has been pure as the driven snow on this subject, but we all reckon politicization, I know, yeah, but that's exactly why we have the system that we do to avoid politicization. But the system is also set up with term limits so that one person can't pack the court with ideologues. Everybody's guilty of this. No, only you when you make a decision that we don't like. New York Times op-ed lays out plan to discipline the Supreme Court in response to the Roe v. Wade decision. (laughs) Okay, so liberals get to punish law legislators and justices when they make a decision that they don't agree with. Huh? We should be impeaching and removing justices and packing the court. The article at the New York Times is how to discipline a rogue Supreme Court. Well, if you want to use the term rogue to describe a decision you don't like, then we could do the same thing. Roe v. Wade was a rogue decision. That's not the issue. The question is, is it right or not? Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said the Supreme Court ruling is illegitimate. Oh, I guess we can do that with anything we disagree. You know what? Then I... I think that the prohibition to drill, baby, drill, it's illegitimate. Let's start drilling. And called on supporters to take their grievances into the streets. Huh. That sounds like a 
call to revolution to me. <laughs> no, no, that's different. <laughs> this is just protesting is all it is when we burn down towns. The arguments of progressives watch for the table turn. They're projecting the very thing that they're doing onto you. And in order to escape those accusations, bring it back to the main question of the life issue. What is it? What is it? And if you stay there, you will win there because what it is is a whole innocent human being. This is Wretched Radio. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. We know you have infinite choices in what gets your time, and we don't take for granted that you've chosen Wretched Radio. And we also want to thank those of you who are monthly Wretched Gospel Partners. Without your support, we could not do all that we're able to do. From Wretched Radio and Wretched TV to other productions like Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and Breaking Bread, not to mention the many resources available in the Wretched store, they're all possible only because of you and your ongoing support. If you're not already a monthly Wretched Gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider becoming one? Help us continue producing quality productions that reach millions with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And know that we take seriously our stewardship of the resources you provide. That's why we're audited yearly by the ECFA, so you know we're accountable to you. Get all the information you could ever need about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner now by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Thanks to our partners, we were able to create channels of food supplies from neighboring countries of Moldova and Romania. Over 45 tons of non-perishable food supplies were brought in and delivered to thousands of people across small towns and cities that suffered from the war. That is our dear brother Max from the Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine, continuing to preach the gospel, opening up kids clubs where they can, and because of the war, providing resources, providing food and shelter and prayer and of course the gospel to people who are in need if you have never considered supporting tomorrow clubs this might be the right time you are needed in ukraine tomorrow clubs will do the work they will take care of the distribution they just need the resources would you please consider providing them tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched Books of the Bible The book of Joshua tells of the conquest and division of the promised land. There are two consistent themes in Joshua, God's faithfulness and his aversion to unfaithfulness. 
When you wonder how committed God is to His people or doubt the seriousness of idolatry, let Joshua remind you that your God is a jealous God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And if you think that was annoying, Friel it was. Oh, wait until you hear this. This is Wretched Radio. New York Times, every columnist, political pundit, bloviating about how they feel about the Roe v. Wade decision. But so, too, are denominational leaders and high-profile religious folks. They're making statements about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I think we do well to understand who they are and what they believe. Let's start out with the words from Beth Moore in response to Roe v. Wade. Jimmy, did you take any of my papers from in here? I did not. Huh. Well, that's that's weird because I would Uh, think that she would say something. No, she didn't. Do do you have those words from Christine Kane and Joyce Meyer? (laughs) No, I don't. Well, that's weird. They aren't saying anything. Do you happen to have the statement from Russell Moore? No, I've been looking for that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In fact, there was an article at, I think it was the Federalist, I believe. Uh, uh, print friendly. It's not the Federalist. I think it's the Federalist. Russell Moore won't celebrate Dobbs because he'd have to admit pro-Trump Christians are good at loving their neighbors. (laughs) The point of the article is that we're not hearing anything from these people, in particular camps of evangelicalism. Silent as a clam. Russell Moore has been very vociferous about the life issue. He's very pro-life. Why why are we hearing anything from them? He speaks out on virtually everything else on the planet. But this one, he's mum. So is David French. Where, where, Where are they celebrating this momentous decision? We'll We'll keep you informed as we find them. Let's go to some denominations, shall we? This is our response to today's U.S. Supreme Court ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade from the United Methodist Church. This is a bummer. This is a really big, fat bummer. I know that there is a battle going on right now for the soul of the Methodist denomination. Um, This is what the leaders believe which indicates it's actually soul-less at this point. United Methodists value women's rights and recognize the importance of ministries that support women and their reproductive health. We are equally bound to respect the sacredness of the life and well-being of the mother and the unborn child. Well, that's nice to hear. We recognize tragic conflicts of life with life that may justify abortion. Huh. Really? Give me that laundry list, my Methodist friend. What would be, ah, I know what it is. It's inconvenient. Cool. Then the next time I'm in the grocery store and the line is too long, I guess I can take the life of the shoppers in front of me because it's inconvenient and I can justify my sinful behavior. Oh, wait a second. You're you're saying it's because it would be a financial strain on the woman. Cool. So I guess, therefore, I can take the life of my four-year-old because, let me tell you something, they're not cheap. And wait till they're teenagers. Whew, am I ever glad 
the Methodists spoke out on this subject. We recognize tragic conflicts of life with life that may justify abortion. And in such cases, we support the legal option of abortion under proper medical procedures by certified medical providers. After all, we do have some standards, you know, from the United Methodists. This prayerful response from the UMC is a collective witness that centers on the value and dignity of every mother, child, and family. However, today, the United States Supreme Court decision denied the value and dignity of women to access the fundamental right to the support of care and services they deserve. That's the United Methodist Church. That, that, that raises a question for us that... I think we need to start addressing and begin articulating. You would likely agree that separation, identifying somebody as outside of Christian orthodoxy, should be based on cardinal essential doctrines. The five solas of the Reformation. You believe those or you're out. That is when we can cause division with other people. That is when we can label them outside of the camp. But I think that there are some issues that demand we think this through regarding some, not all, but some secondary issues. Historically, we've heard it's only carnal doctrines, secondary issues. We just sing Kumbaya and get along. Hold on. We're seeing a couple of things happening right now that are causing us to look at that and go, wait, well, maybe there are some things on the secondary level that perhaps we don't get to use the term Heretic, which is the A-bomb word in Christendom, but we can say that thinking, that belief, while being secondary, is so aberrant that we cannot fellowship with you and embrace you as fellow believers. And I think this is one of those issues. What, what, what the Methodist Church just put out is abortion is okay. As a Christian, I don't want to say, yeah, we're on the same page on the cardinal doctrines. We just overlook one another's views on abortion. I think that there are some things that we don't overlook that aren't cardinal and essential. Here's the second one. Southern Baptist Convention currently wrestling with the role of women in the church. We've seen this play played out a dozen times before by the Methodist, Episcopalians, liberal Lutherans. They are now going to start a conversation and dialogue and maybe do some studying on what the word pastor means and what the original intent of the word was when the Baptist faith and message was passed in 2000, 2001. They're starting the conversation about the role of women. Is it a primary cardinal doctrine that you believe women should be pastors? No. Is it so plainly problematic and wrong that it could lead us to say, if you are embracing that, I, I don't know how you're reading your Bible. And because we've seen this play before, we know where this slippery slope goes. I think that we need to start thinking this through a little bit more carefully regarding some secondary issues. So we can't say that the United Methodists are heretics because they promote abortion, which they do. Can't say that. But can we say something? What is it? How, how do we label people who embrace abortion or women as pastors? This is from the United Methodist Church. 
Today's decision unleashes severe consequences and threatens access to care for every community, especially black, brown, indigenous, and low-income communities. These are the talking points of progressivism. As people of faith, God calls us to transform conditions of injustice and advocate for the rights of all people. Hold on. Oh, man. Do you ever get such a strong smell in your nose that it just gives you an instant headache? The smell of irony is pouring off of this page. As people of faith, God calls us to transform conditions of injustice (coughs) and advocate for the rights of all people. For what? Oh, to have access to affordable, equitable, and comprehensive health care that includes reproductive and maternal care. That is the United Methodist Church ending its statement by saying, we grieve and lament today's decision. What do we do with Christians who are pro-aborts? We better start thinking this through. This is from the Episcopal Church. Wouldn't surprise you. Today's decision institutionalizes inequality because women with access to resources will be able to exercise their moral judgment in ways that women without the same resources will not. In other words, they don't like the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned. It called the ruling a blow to people of all faiths and none who have cherished for nearly 50 years the hope of equal access to reproductive health care. <laughs> and by the way, you're written about in this statement. The statement from the head of the Episcopalians called for Episcopalians to keep with the general convention and support women's vulnerable to this act of Christian extremism. Oh, is that what it is now? Disciples of Christ, the historical record is clear that we have sought to engage the issue of reproductive freedom in all of its complexity, resulting in consistent affirmation of a commitment to reproductive rights for women. And then calling for, let's just disagree on this and just get along. Um, I, I don't think that we can disagree on this and get along. We want to save people who are staggering to the slaughter. You want to drive them there and pay for them to be slaughtered. You want to endorse that. You you want to affirm that. Six college presidents hating the ruling. All women's, Bernard College, Vassar, Bryn Mawr, Wellesley, Smith, Mount Holyoke. In other words, some of them religious. More and more religious people are going to make the claim that abortion is a woman's reproductive health right. It's a secondary issue. To be clear, it is. So it's the role of women. But does that mean that somebody can have such aberrant thinking on a life and death issue that we can still have fellowship? Until tomorrow, go serve your king.